Well, good morning. Good morning. What a, what a joy to, to be with you this morning. Um, I don't usually do this, but when the last song, especially, we were worshiping. And just to, just to look around and see every, you know, other people uh, singing and, and engaged with, with God, I know that does something for me. That really, like, builds me up. So thank you for, for building my faith already this morning. Um, I'm John Malella. I like what Dean said last week. Dean Salami gave the message last week when he said he's one of the fellas. And I think that's a good way. That's what I am. I'm one of the fellas here at Gateway. And uh, I'm going to give the message today. Um, you know, th- this week, I- interesting, um, I found myself kind of preaching this to myself. I mean, that's good, right? You, you want the preacher to apply the message to him or herself before they give it to other people, but just like spontaneously, uh, just like the, the words would come out. So I just, hmm, I wonder what God wants to do today with this. I, I wonder. Um, well, we're, we're continuing our series today, uh, Finding Jesus, which is a, a good thing. Uh, last week, Dean Salami, um, another uh, good Brooklyn boy like myself, uh, he preached through John's story of the woman at the well, and his, his message was finding Jesus beyond our past. He talked about not letting guilt and shame keep us from God. Today's message is about finding Jesus beyond our wrong view of God. What we're going to look at today is seeing Jesus through a better lens. We're also going to look at what it means to see Jesus through a broken lens. So as I uh, thought about this topic and I looked at the passage we're going to read in Matthew 25, I remembered something that happened to me many years ago. So uh, my wife Lisa and I, we, we had just gotten married. Uh, so this was, uh, this was the late 20th century, let's put it that way. Um, we'll leave it at that. We were living in New York City. Uh, it was a beautiful day in September. And Lisa had gone to work. She was teaching at a Lutheran elementary school, really bringing in the bucks. Um, and I had plans to bring our car. It was a 1987 Nissan Sentra, okay, which she had actually bought, you know, with her, her hard-earned uh, savings from, from that job. Uh, we bought it used, 1987. She bought it, Nissan Sentra. One of those cars with no air conditioning. Do you remember that? Do they still make those? I doubt it. Um, it, it had those roll-down windows. I mean, man, this is last century, right? Remember that. Um, well, I was, it was my job that morning to bring the car to the, the gas station three blocks away from our house to get an oil change. And the plan was I was going to drop the car off, uh, get back home, hop on the bus, and get to work. I never made it there. Two blocks from the house, there's a pretty big intersection. Um, Woodhaven Boulevard and Myrtle Avenue. It's funny, in New York City, the, the names they give to streets to evoke that uh, you know, bu- bucolic and country kind of uh, perspective. Woodhaven and Myrtle. Uh, Woodhaven Boulevard is vast. It's at least, gee, three or four lanes uh, across on both sides. Um, crossed into the intersection, and I found myself behind a car making a left without a signal. So by the time I made my way around him, the light had turned green, for the traffic coming against me. So we uh, later estimated that the the car that hit me uh, was probably going about 40 miles an hour, uh, T-boned, slammed into the passenger side of the car, Uh, glass everywhere, 
whole, whole side of the car smashed, car totaled. Car totaled. Glass was everywhere. I was bleeding. I was bleeding from my, my elbow. My back was bleeding. Weird, right? I mean, it, with the impact, I'm all over the place. Glass got between me and the, and the seat. Uh, and the car was pushed into oncoming traffic. And I realized I couldn't see. I couldn't see well at all. Everything was blurry. Uh, and I, I looked around, and um, I, I, at that time, probably going into shock, um, and the impact of the car, uh, the crash again, I mean, oncoming traffic, and I remember squinting through the windshield, and what do I see coming toward me but a New York City bus? And I recall looking as best as I could, um, and I see the bus, it looks like it's slowing down. The next thing I see is a blinker where the, the, the bus actually, the driver puts on his blinker to maneuver around me because it's rush hour and life goes on. Okay. My first thought was, oh, I can't see. I've got a head injury. But then the thought came to me, and this is, okay, welcome to my internal dialogue. This is, you know, welcome to my internal world. Um, uh, the thought came to me, um, no, no, you dummy. Um, this is all inside. No, you don't have a head injury. Your glasses are broken. My glasses were broken. Now, being very nearsighted, uh, this, is, this is before LASIK, okay, being very nearsighted, I had worn glasses at that time for at least 12, 15 years. I wore them all the time. I had them on while driving. And now, they were broken. And as the fire trucks, uh, and again, God bless the fire department in New York. They're always the first ones on site. I heard the sirens coming. It became obvious to me that I had a broken lens. So today we're going to talk about the broken lens. What happens when we view Jesus through a broken lens? Uh, as we're going to read, it results in poverty and ultimate sorrow. And we're going to see also, what does it mean to view Jesus through a better lens? which results in increase and delight. So here's, here's what I'm going to do today in the time we have left. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to talk about things that are going to come into focus for us, I think three or four things. Then I'm, I'm going to talk about the results of, of the better lens. And then I'm going to get obnoxious. <laughs> I plan on getting a little bit obnoxious, so be forewarned. So pray with me, please. Lord, I recognize today that uh, we're, all in, we're all in different places with you. Uh, some of us, I think, we're seeing you very well. Others of you, we're just, I don't know, we're, we're confused, we're broken. Um, I'm, I'm so encouraged, though, Lord, because I feel like you, um, well, we know this. You created the whole universe with just the word. So in, in the words that I have today, Lord, the, the prayer is that you would use these words to create something in us today. Create something in us. And we thank you in your son's name. Amen. So our passage today is in Matthew 25. Um, I think it's on the screen there. Yeah, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And I'll read it for us. And for some of you, this is going to be kind of familiar. Um, um, again... Uh, and this is Jesus speaking. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. 
To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the one, the man, who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are you're a hard man, harvesting where you, you've not sown, and you gather where you have not scattered seed. So I, I was afraid, and I went out and I, I hid your gold in the ground. See, he, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then, you, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he, even what he has, even what they have, will be taken from them. And... Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This ends the reading. So this passage is uh, part of a section of Matthew's gospel where Jesus is talking about his return. Um, he's talking about the time, uh, he's, he's in Jerusalem, or going to Jerusalem, he's, he's going to enter his time of suffering but he's talking about the time, uh, the in-between time. So between his, we'll say, between his resurrection and his return, that in-between time in which we now live. So he's talking about our time. Uh, this is the third parable in this section of Matthew's gospel. Jesus has already talked about the parable of the wise servant. So how, it talked about how the master went away and the wise servant took care of the household, but the wicked servant abused everybody. Um, the passage before this, Jesus talked about the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Ten bridesmaids, that's a good Northern Virginia bridal party, isn't it? Uh, 
the groom goes away and the bridesmaids are supposed to get things ready and the groom comes back and only half of the bridesmaids are ready. Only half have the oil that's needed to light the lamps. So each of these stories illustrate two ways of relating to the absent master, uh, two ways of seeing Jesus, the way of the better lens, which results in increase in delight, the way of the broken lens, which results in poverty and sorrow. So we should expect something similar in our parable today. Let's break this down a little bit. Who's who in the parable, uh, parable the story? Well, there are four people. We've got the master and we have three servants. I don't think we need an intensive study to recognize that the master is Jesus, who is going away on a journey. And the three servants, well, that's us. We're the servants here. Uh, the followers of Jesus, those who have, who have taken that step of faith, who have connected with him. That's us. That's us. And they've each been given, our, our translation says, bags of gold. Now, what, um, what it literally says, and some of our English translations uh, actually have this, in the, the Greek language, which, which this was originally written in, um, the original language of the New Testament, they were given talents. And what, what is a talent? What, what, it's a unit of weight. And I actually have a talent with me. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a talent. Except, instead of made of iron and steel, the talents are pure gold. That's a talent. It's about 75 pounds. Um, I was hoping that um, that wouldn't give me a hernia because uh, that would not really be edifying for our church today. Um, but that's a talent. That's the largest unit of measurement um, in, the, in the ancient world. Uh, now, um, Talent, we usually use this in a little different sense, right? And uh, the word talent, abilities, right? We think of it in that sense. Um, and that's how it's come down in our English, uh, English language. From, from this story, uh, talent, we think of it as abilities, right? Like we say things like, um, um, I, I, uh, you know, he has musical talent, um, or, or I have no artistic talent, uh, and which is true. If you know me, I have no artistic talent. If you want to laugh, play Pictionary with me. Um, usually, we, we actually play that a, f a few times a year in our house, and um, you know, I'll, I'll draw, nobody wants to be on my team, but I'll draw something, and of course, the, my, the people on my team, they don't get it, and I'll, I'll be like, they'll be like, well, what's, what's that, what was that supposed to be? Well, that's a dog. And then the conversation usually goes something like, how is that a dog? <laughs> talent, our talent. But I think what Jesus is getting at here is, is something a little bit greater than just our abilities. I think he's talking about our entire selves, which of course includes our abilities, but everything about us. You, know, you hear this phrase sometimes here at Gateway, our time, treasure, and talents. Yes, everything about us, our giftings, our, our time, what we bring to the table. So that's our first focus point. Um, Everything we, we have, we, we've been given. We've been, we've been given. Everything we have has been given to us. We are confronted by the givenness of our lives. Think about it. Where you were born, you didn't decide. The things you're good at, you didn't decide that. You did not self-generate that about yourself. Um, our abilities, our, our, our native inclinations, the families we were born into, it was given. It's all given to us. You know, there's a, a wonderful scene in 
um, in, in John's gospel, in Jesus' ministry, where John, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is like a rock star in the first, he's got followers. You know, everyone's like, man, the, the, we finally have a prophet in Israel. John the Baptist is, he's big, he's big. Um, and one day, his, his, uh, some people come to John and they say, hey, hey John, you know, some of, the, some of your followers, they're going, to, they're going to follow that other guy, Jesus. They don't even mention him. They don't even say his name in this path. They're going to follow Jesus. You know, what do you think about that, John? You built up this big following, and what, what do you think about that? Uh, and I love John's response. John says, you know, a man can only receive what's been given to him from heaven. In other words, I didn't earn those followers. It's, it's time for them to, to follow the Messiah. Um, I, can only, I, I can only receive what's been given to me. Those people were never mine. You know, we notice something also here that grates against my American sensibilities of equality and equal treatment. Um, and we're here at our second, our second focus point. Did you notice the master is not fair? He's not fair. The talents are not given out equally. It's not fair. Wait, wait, this guy gets five? Um, why should he get five? Um, this one gets two, and this one only gets one? You know, my, my equality detector is about to get into a twist. What's wrong here? Well, first thing we have to recognize, a couple things. One is, whether it's five, whether it's two, whether it's one, a talent is an outrageous amount of money. So one of these, solid gold, is worth 20 years wages to the average worker at that, at that time. Okay, that's a lot of money. Five of these, outrageous, in the millions. So what does that mean for us? It means that uh, our lives are of outrageous value. That's what it really means, of outrageous value. You know, some of us, we look at our lives and we're like, you know, we, we could do a lot of comparison, right? We're like, uh, you know what? Some people, they just, it seems like they have a lot more than me. You know, I think of some of you here, honestly. Uh, I look at some of the things that you guys are able to, we got some like really smart people here. You know, some of you are scientists and just like the, the, the horsepower that you bring to a conversation intellectually is just amazing, you know, and I've had conversations with people here where I'm, you know, where they're, they're just, they're, they're on such a different level than I am, and then they'll turn to me and say, you know, John, what, what do you, what do you think? And, you know, I'm just like, um, um, uh, food goes in here. <laughs> We're so different, and that's okay. That is Okay. Because whatever we have is of outrageous value. The difference, you know, uh, Paul, this is, this is developed in other parts of the New Testament. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul and, and Apostle Peter talk about this. Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Um, Ephesians 4, 11, Christ gave to the church, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers all different functions to equip his people for works of service. And Peter, in his letter, 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you've been received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
we have not been all given the same thing, but what we've been given is of outrageous value. Outrageous value. Another focal point here that I notice is, um, you know, the master did not give the servants, um, uh, he didn't give them a checklist. He didn't give them specific instructions. He didn't say, uh, look, I'm giving you this, and um, look, this is the portfolio I want you to develop. I want 40% stocks. I want 35, 30% bonds, uh, real estate. He didn't do that. He didn't say, you know, if you, go up, if you go up north of 50 off Evergreen, there's a nice plot of land that I've been looking at, and I want you to, no. No, he didn't do that. He doesn't give them any specifics. He does not give them an expectation of what he's expecting for return. He doesn't say, you know, I want at least 20% back on this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. The only thing he leaves them with is an expectation that the servants are going to put the talents to work. There's no checklist. You know, for some of us, I think that's irritating. We want a checklist. We want to be able to look at something and say, yep, did that, yep, did that, yep, yep, yep. It's irritating to some of us. We want a checklist. He doesn't give you that. He doesn't give us a checklist. Yeah, we're, we're so entrenched in a culture, in a world that values achievement and measurement that we sometimes want to relate to God through a checklist, and he does not give us that. He gives us freedom. But the expectation is we're going to put the talents to work. Um, so we've touched on a few things that begin to come into focus for us with that better lens, um, our, the givenness of our lives, the outrageous value of our lives, the unfairness uh, of the master. Uh, that there's no checklist. We're going to look now at the result. I've got the better lens on. How does it play out in our lives? Well, two of the servants uh, going at once to put the talents to work actually double their investment. So the five becomes ten. Uh, the two becomes four. Um, multiplication. Fruitfulness. Increase. We see increase. Did you pick up what the master says? He says, because you've been faithful in a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. So that increase is not just the multiplication of what we've been given. It's an increase in our sphere of influence, an increase in our area of responsibility. You know, in, in my job, and probably some of yours too, we joke about this, right? We joke, um, hey, good work is always rewarded with additional work, Right? We say that. Yeah, the other day we had a, a briefing, uh, had a brief one of the executives uh, in, in the agency, and um, the briefing went well. It went so well that we walked away from the briefing with, with more jobs to do. And I think that's kind of like a, maybe a warped way of, of viewing, viewing this, um, which is when we're faithful with what we have, with what we've been given, God gives us more increase. We see this over and over again in the Bible. Think of Joseph. You all probably, most of you know the story of Joseph. Okay. Um, sold into slavery, becomes kind of the, the, well, kind of the manager of a household, Potiphar, who was 
uh, an Egyptian uh, soldier. Uh, he was faithful in Potiphar's house. He wound up running the country. He was over all of Egypt. Only the Pharaoh was, was higher than him. Moses, think of Moses. Uh, he spent 40 years leading sheep in the desert. Okay, 40 years. He was handpicked by God to lead God's people out of slavery through the desert. We think of David, uh, faithful shepherd, uh, who said, I, I have defended my, my flock from the lion and the bear. And God then moved him to defend his people as the warrior king. That's called increase. Seeing Jesus with a better lens results in increase. When we're faithful with what we have been given, God gives us more. But that's only half of the, that piece. Did you notice the invitation here? The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. You know, Jesus' original hearers would have taken notice of how unusual this was. You know, servants, servants in the ancient world didn't get well done from their master. You know what they got mostly? Why isn't this done? Or more, more likely, why wasn't this done the way I wanted it? That was more likely uh, a thing that they were going to hear from their masters. And they certainly did not get invitations to share in their master's happiness. But this is an invitation to a full participation in the master's happiness, in his delight. For us, seeing Jesus with a better lens is an invitation to experience his happiness. Wait, wait, his happiness? Yeah. The joy of the Lord is my strength, the psalmist says. The joy of the Lord. Uh, it's an experience, invitation to experience his delight. The Lord rejoices over his people with singing. The prophet Zephaniah says, when we see him with a better lens, we have access to his joy and his happiness. But we need to pivot for a minute or two, and we need to talk about the broken lens. Now notice the third servant. Notice his words. He starts off, I knew you were, I knew you were a hard man. Wait, wait a second. I knew, wait. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's blaming the master. Basically, I didn't do what you wanted, and it's your fault. If you've been around the Bible for a while, this, this may sound familiar to you, right? We've been here before. Think of the first man in the garden where God asked him, Adam, did you... Did you do what I told you not to do? Did you eat from the fruit, uh, from, from the tree I told you not to eat from? Okay, remember Adam's response? The, the woman. <laughs> not just the woman. The woman you gave me. So the servant basically points back and blames the master. And here we see the broken lens at work. You know, Oswald Chambers was a devotional writer from the early 20th century. Uh, he calls this our incurable suspicion of God. Our incurable suspicion of God. This is the core of the broken lens, our incurable suspicion of God. Um, we just cannot see him as good. We don't trust him. 
And what that means for us is he becomes one of two things. He becomes either an oppressive tyrant, heavy-handed, who's watching my every move, waiting to pounce on me, or, or he's distant, uninvolved, uncaring. We are suspicious. That's the broken lens. That's the broken lens. But you know that trust actually goes two ways. Uh, we have trouble trusting him, but we also have trouble seeing that he wants to trust us. Did, did you, it's right here in the text. I'm not making this up. You know, the, the master entrusted, entrusted these things to his servants. We never talk about this, do we? You know, we, we talk about the, us trusting God. God wants to trust us. He has entrusted us um, to take care of, take care of things. You know, I, I'm, I'm struck whenever I, I read about the environmental um, movement, which a lot of them are, are, so, are so good, but we forget the core idea of people taking care of the earth. Guess where that came from? That's the Bible. We were entrusted with the earth. The people around us, our own lives, we've been entrusted. God is entrusting us. He's trusting us to take care of all of it. He's trusting us. But if we're seeing through a broken lens, we're going to hide our talents. We're going to hide the value of our lives, the weightiness of our lives. We're going to hide it in a hole. Can I, can I say one thing in, in just the, in defense for a second of the, of the third servant? Um, you know, putting, putting this in a, in a hole was a perfectly acceptable way to keep something safe. And it actually absolved the, the, the digger from responsibility. Here, I just want to read this uh, from you. Um, uh, according to rabbinic legislation, uh, so the, the Jewish authorities uh, in the, the early, or early first millennium, according to rabbinic legislation, the depositor, in exactly this way, released himself from civil responsibility in case of damage or loss. Do you get it? He was playing it safe. Seeing Jesus with a broken lens means we will always play it safe. This hits home. I like to play things safe. I, I do. Uh, the career I picked. Um, I work for the federal government. Um, in my uh, agency, we've never gotten laid off or rift. Absolute rock solid. Secure. I like playing it safe. But if I see Jesus with a broken lens, I'm always going to play it safe. What does that mean? It means that we will always prize our safety and our comfort above all other priorities. We will always prize our safety and our comfort above all other priorities. We will take no risks. We will endure no discomfort. We will tolerate no uncertainty. We will accept no possibility of failure. Investors call this risk aversion, risk tolerance. The broken lens results in a risk tolerance of zero. Zero. You'll never want to take a risk. So how does that play out in our lives? Well, what that means is that um, that Bible study at work that God wants you to start, um, the neighbor that God is nudging you to, to invite to, to church uh, or to group. 
that, that change in your career that God is, is nudging you toward, the friendship that God wants you to cultivate, that ministry or charity that God wants you to support or start. If you're seeing Jesus through a broken lens, you're never going to do it. The time will pass, and you are never going to do it. Notice how the master also calls the servant lazy. Well, that caught my eye. Because laziness is something that I know a lot about. I have excelled at being lazy at various times in my life. Procrastination? World class. Um, and that's laziness's cousin, of course. I still remember, um, I don't know why this old memory came, I, I was ready to apply for college, right, done with high school. So this was, you know, at least 150 years ago. Um, we did have colleges back then. Um, instead of working on my college applications, I, I still remember I played Atari instead. I still remember sitting there in front of the TV with the joystick. Um, playing. I should have been working on my college applications. Nope, I played Atari. I still remember my mother, a very gentle lady, walking by. I'm sitting in front of the TV. Uh, and she asked me, um, so you're going to major in um, megamania? Why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? You know, the Bible is no, uh, it's not a big fan of laziness, as you, you may imagine. If you read the Proverbs, laziness is associated with poverty and even slavery. And it's always contrasted with hard work and diligence. Nothing good comes out of laziness. The reasons for laziness, though, are vast. Uh, if you start reading the literature, you're going to go down a rabbit hole like I started to do with this. Um, some cases, laziness results from just not seeing the value of something. Um, or, or, for example, uh, with a big project, right? We, we get a huge project, and we lack the executive skills to slice it and dice it into manageable parts. So confronted with this huge project, we do nothing. Well, I know in my own life what I'm usually motivated to, to be lazy by is fear. It's fear of failure. Um, fear of not being perfect. I'm not going to do something perfect. Fear of not being good enough at something. Um, I'm afraid, so I do nothing. Yeah, it's interesting that the laziness does not always result in inactivity, because remember the third guy, he actually did something. He buried this. You know, I don't think that was so easy. And I'm astounded sometimes at how much effort that we expend trying to get around what we really need to do. So we need a better lens. While the better lens results in increase in delight, the broken lens will result in poverty and sorrow. You can't live a life of increase if you have a distorted view of God. How did that third servant get a broken lens? You know, it's disturbing to me that he was in the same household as the other two servants. Did you notice that? The same household, and yet he had the warped view of the master. He had the broken lens. You know, this reminds me of growing up in a house with three brothers. I don't know how my parents did it. Um, when we got together, uh, we get together now and we talk about, you know, things that happened in our childhood. Hey, remember when dad did that? You know, it's fascinating that, you know, all of us have different, we have different perspectives, different memories of what happened. Um, for some of us, our broken lens comes because we were raised with a distorted view of God. We were raised with a distorted view of God. Our prior church experience, 
we, we see God as a heavy-handed tyrant. Or we've had people in our lives, maybe they were parents or some other authority figures who were unreasonably demanding, or they were distant and uncaring and uninvolved. Um, uh, or we've picked it up along the way somehow. Or for some of us, like I was in the Nissan, you've been slammed. We've been slammed by life, trauma. Uh, we've been slammed by sickness, depressed by disappointment. We're pummeled by our failures. And we look at the hard things in our lives, and that's the lens we use to view God through. We need a better lens. We need a better lens. So I want to say a few words here about how the master handled this last servant. You know, the, the Bible is pretty clear. He was, he was actually thrown, thrown out. Um, and his talent was taken and given away to the first servant. Ah, oh, Jesus, why so harsh? Why so harsh? I don't want to skate over this. It seems so harsh. There's a finality in Jesus' words that is consistent with the other two parables that precede this, a finality that, that indicates uh, some will not experience the master's delight. That, that there are some people that they're going to put themselves outside the master's reach. I don't want that to be anybody here. And, and, and more important, I don't, think, I don't think God wants that for anybody here. Don't put yourself outside the master's reach today. Don't do that. But Jesus, can you blame this guy? He was afraid. He was afraid. He said it. I was afraid of you. Uh, that's why I did it. But, but do you notice the master calls out his inconsistently. He says, if you were really afraid of me, you, you would have at least put that in the bank. You know, I, 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 get, it. I get it that you didn't want to do the work. <laughs> okay, but you could have at least, if you were that afraid of me, you would have at least put it in the bank and let them do the work. Um, so what, what's Jesus trying to do here with, with us? Is he trying to scare us into belief? Is he trying to frighten us into obedience? Is he trying to threaten us into faith? Um, I think he is trying to threaten us. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? I, I think this is a threat. But it's, it's the kind of threat that you would hear if you go see a cardiologist and the cardiologist says, you know, your, your numbers are way off the chart. Your cholesterol is, is through the roof. Um, you're sedentary. You're overweight. You're a walking heart attack. And you know what? If you don't make changes, you're not going to make it. That's the kind of threat this is. It's a, it's a threat that says, wake up. Make changes. Don't continue down this path. You need a better lens. If this is how you're viewing God, you need a better lens. You need a better lens. We need a better lens. Now, here is where I get obnoxious, if I haven't been obnoxious already. Here's where I get obnoxious. I'm going to do something that you're not supposed to do. And they, they teach you this in interpersonal uh, relationships and counseling and everything. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you what you want. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to affirm 
You're supposed to ask people, well, what is it that you want? And then you comment on that or affirm it or whatever. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you what you want. I had a conversation with, with one of you about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, talking about careers, right? That's what guys do. We talk about our jobs and, you know, and I think uh, the person I was talking to was at a state in his, in his career was just like, eh, I don't really know, you know, do I go for something higher or, or don't, you know, transfer or whatever. And I said, well, what is it that you want? He said, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, and I think a lot of us, we find ourselves in that place, don't we? So many things clamor for our attention, our appetites, uh, other people's expectations of us, the noise, the sheer volume of activity in a single day, what it throws at us. It can be hard to answer that. You know, last week, Dean talked about the ache in our hearts. The ache in our hearts. What's going to satisfy that? There's only one thing. That's only one thing. Only one thing is going to satisfy that. That's what you really want. Why is it obnoxious? Why am I being obnoxious now? How is that being obnoxious? Because I can't read your minds, and I know that we're all in different places, but I know that the things that you want, and let's, we can list them, okay, you know, pleasure and significance, security, um, none of them satisfy. None of those things ultimately satisfy because they're made to point us in the direction of what will really satisfy me. What do we really want? We want to live a life of increase. We want to share in our master's delight. That's what we want. To one day see Jesus face to face and hear him say, you did well. You did well. Come on in. I've been waiting for you. Come on in and share. Share my happiness. Share my delight. Are you willing today to see Jesus through a better lens? Are you willing Stand with me, please. Stand with me. We're going to do some, some, we're going to do some work with God on this. Do some work with God. Yeah. You know, some of us today, we're, we're in that car that's not moving. We've been slammed into. Um, notice I didn't tell you whose fault that accident was. Because it doesn't matter. I was slammed. Yeah, some of us are slammed today. We're in a car that's not moving. Some of us have been in that car for years. And we got a broken lens. Some of you, you, um, it's just hard to see God. It's hard to trust him. He's entrusted you with so much. Your life has outrageous value to him. Outrageous value. Pray with me, please. Lord, again, we, we're in such different places with you. We're in different places, and yet you know how to reach all of us where, we, where we're at. Lord, we're so, we're so challenged today by, by Ina, who recognized the talents that she had been given and put them to work. Um, we want to be like that, Lord. We want to 
Lord, I know what we want. We want to live lives of meaning and lives of, of significance. We want to live lives of increase. And you are way more willing to give that than we are to even accept it. So, Lord, please, please give us that better lens today. Give us that better lens that we could see you. Lord, I think about, I think about who we are as a group. This is, this is a five-talent church. It's a five-talent church, God. You've invested so much in us. I think of my own life. You've invested so much. And Lord, sometimes I'm so reluctant, so reluctant to go out and work it. I pray, Lord, you'd make us like these two servants that at once, they went at once. You have to do this in us, God. You have to give us that lens because if we're left to our own selves, it's never going to happen. So, Lord, empower us. Give us vision. Give us understanding. Help us to see you as you really are with the better lens. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.